Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Oh, okay, everybody. We made it. Um, it's not Palm Sunday without total chaos, is it? You know? That, that had to have been what Jerusalem felt like uh, when Jesus came in. All the parents were like, where's my kid? Did anyone see the sign? Where's the kindergartners going? Um, and I think next year we, we maybe ought to have some protective eyewear for Palm Sunday, yeah? Uh, I watch a lot of this old house, Norm Abram, who's the, uh, the carpenter who started it with Bob Vila, you know, the original gangsters. He always says, no more important sh- uh, shop safety tip than these, protective eyewear. So there you go. Maybe we'll put, uh, all right, get on with it, Micah. Hi, I'm Micah. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Awaken. So glad that you are with us. Uh, One of our other fearful, no, fearless leaders, Jenna, just hiked the Grand Canyon this week. So I have to give her a a congratulate. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's a big deal. That's a totally big deal. Have to congratulate her when she gets back. A couple of things before we jump in. If you're new, super glad you're here. Um, We would love to know that you were here. Uh, There are some cards in the seat pockets in front of you or the pews, and online you can press a little button that says, I'm new, let us know that you were here. And somebody from our team will reach out, uh, invite you to a beverage of your choice, and um, we'll get to know each other. That'd be great. Uh, Those cards and any tithes and offerings can go in the black boxes at each of the exits. Uh, Those are both real gifts to us, and we're grateful for both of those. Um, There are some things happening this week. It's a big week in the life of the church. Uh, I joke around that it's kind of like we're we're going to the Super Bowl of the church year on Sunday next week. So this Friday is, uh, I was going to say a concert. We're going to have a bounce house. No, it's Good Friday. um, And uh, we will have a gathering here at the church. Uh, It will be a traditional tenebrae service. We will celebrate communion for the first time since Ash Wednesday, which I'm very excited about. Uh, that's at 6.30, and then Easter Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11. Um, bring your friends. Tell, your, tell the people. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. Looking forward to it. Uh, the next week, the 24th of April, we're doing a Ukrainian egg event, so we're making traditional Ukrainian eggs. We had some training on Thursday, so we're ready to host some tables. That's a free event, and then we're just going to take donations. Um, any donations will go to... Um, The work of IAFR, actually. Tom, how you doing? Donna, good to see you guys. Uh, And their work in in, uh, Ukraine and on the border there with refugees. Um, If you're not coming to that and you'd like to donate to that, you can also do that online. There's a designated fund for uh, open for a short time for that. So um, on the 29th of April, we're doing another game night. Uh, Yeah, these are great. Um, People at Awaken love games. They love their games. So we're doing it again on the 29th, 6.30 p.m., And then last but not least, today at 12.15, right after the second hour, is Discover Awaken. So if you're new and want to stick around or come back, you can go to A-Side, have a cup of coffee, come back. Uh, That is at 12.15 for those folks who are newish to Awaken. Sound good? All right, friends. um, We're in Mark chapter 11. You heard the passage read. Today is, it's Palm Sunday. If If you somehow didn't get that memo and you didn't put two and two together with all the kids up here waving palms, it is Palm Sunday. That's the start of Holy Week. Uh, a, a week that Christians all around the world are celebrating. 
a number of events. The day that Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of the week to celebrate Passover, which was a Jewish festival, where three times a year Jews would come into and come back to Jerusalem, sort of uh, travel back for the celebration of a festival, this being one of them, Passover. So Jesus enters the city on Palm Sunday. Monday, Thursday is the day that Jesus has his last supper celebrates the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Friday, of course, Good Friday, the day that Jesus is tried and convicted and crucified on a Roman cross. And then uh, Sunday, when we celebrate uh, what happens, which is resurrection. What God wants, what God does for Jesus at Easter, God intends to do for all in Christ, which is good news. Um, And that is Holy Week. So um, today, we're in Mark chapter 11, and we're reading, we're listening to, we're... um, We're walking with Mark and his retelling of the triumphal entry. And I say triumphal entry with air quotes because Mark's is the least triumphal of all the Gospels. It's actually quite understated. Um, But we'll get to that in in a minute. In 1991, off the coast of Massachusetts, there was uh, a ship called the Andrea Gale. Now, some of you may know this because there was a movie made about it with George Clooney before he did the Casa Amigos project. Um... That's a tequila he got in on. Um, Quite a story. It's pretty good tequila. But um, either way, the Andrea Gale, uh, the perfect storm. You maybe remember this movie. Um, There was, in fact, a perfect storm that had a couple of elements that came together in this moment that created what was then made into a movie. Uh, There was a cold front way up in the north uh, that was coming down from the north into, like, southern Canada, where the border of uh, America and Canada is. There was, from the west, this sort of high pressure bringing with it winds, and often when those two kinds of systems meet, especially over water, uh, there is the potential for a storm and high winds, and so you had the cold weather coming in from the north, the, the high pressure coming in from the west, and then there happened to be a third element that made this like a storm of all storms. And that was, uh, from the south, a hurricane that had come through that was still a tropical storm. And all three of these things met together. And when they did, they created, over the Atlantic, a storm and a fury like we've never seen before and turned boats into matchsticks, and uh, they made a movie about it. Uh, I tell you that story because this moment in the Gospels is a bit like that. It's a perfect storm of of elements all coming together. From the north, you had the Romans and the pressure of being occupying forces and an empire, uh, uh, an exacting empire, an oppressive empire. You had sort of the westerly winds of the hopes and the expectations, the uh, the wonderings, the, 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 the rememberings of what the prophets have said about the Messiah who would come, welling up in Israel, waiting for something to happen. And then you had this sort of southerly hurricane force wind of God's expectations or the prophesied um, expectations or um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what God would do, the purposes of God themselves. And all three of these things, Rome from the north, the hopes and dreams of Israel, and the, the prophesied actions of God come together in this moment, and it's a, it's a tinderbox that only needs a match. And that's what happens um, in this moment. Uh, the Jewish people hoped that God would agree and endorse their aspirations, right? That the hurricane force of God would agree with their aspirations and would sort of obliterate and kick out the Romans, the cold wind from the north. Um, these folks had been waiting for centuries. The prophets had spoken long ago that God would do something. And these expectations are on full display as the palm branches are waving on Palm Sunday. 
All that Israel hoped God would do is there. Um, these people technically living in the land God promised them in Jerusalem, but under Roman rule and occupation, waiting for the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. This is the one that Luke and Anna talk about in, uh, or Simeon and Anna talk about in Luke chapter 2. Waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the redemption of Israel, waiting for God to restore Israel, which is to say, vindicate Israel, exalt Israel, bring them back to the place in which they held as a kingdom with a king in the world, not an occupied people. So this is the perfect storm, and it is brewing as Holy Week begins. I'm, trying, I'm telling you all this because I want you to try to like get into the spirit, like to be there in the city. You can feel the tension. You can feel the hopes and the dreams of like, maybe God would make America great again. I'm sorry. Maybe God would make Israel great again. hey <laughs> Now I have your attention. So here's what I want to do today. I want to focus on this word Hosanna, right? Hosanna, it's a Greek word because it's fascinating. And I think it brings us into a really interesting conversation about what do we expect God to do? What do we hope God will do? Um, what do we think God's power on display looks like? When God acts, when God shows themselves in full power, divine power, what does it look like? Uh, who do we think is us? And who do we think is them? There's a lot of that going on in this story. And I think it brings us face to face with um, what do we actually maybe need God to do? So it's Palm Sunday, friends. How many of you grew up in a church where kids came down and they waved palm branches and they, did, and they, and they sang a song with the word Hosanna in it by a show of hands? A few of you? Yeah. Okay. I remember doing this. I think maybe I even did this. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, my mom's nodding her head. Yep, you did. Um, and, you know, it's, it's usually to a song uh, with the word Hosanna in it. You know, an old one from uh, the Gaither folks or Sandy Patty or somebody, you know, Brooke Frazier nowadays, Hill Song, some kind of Hosanna song. And I said to Mike when we were planning this day, I was like, here's the goal. We have to get through Palm Sunday and not sing a song with Hosanna in it. Because <laughs> that's just way too predictable. But the, the, the idea is that this is a, a, a word that would have been a part of the Hallel Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, right? The Psalms that the Jews would have sung during Passover. At that point, it had become a declaration, a, a, a moment of adoration, like, hail the king! And that's what they would have been singing. But it's fascinating because the word itself, Hosanna, comes from two Hebrew words that don't necessarily mean that. They come to mean that by the time Jesus arrives, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail the king, right? But in their original usage, the two Hebrew words that come together to make this Greek word Hosanna don't mean that. It actually means something very, very different than that. 2 Samuel, for example, 2 Samuel chapter 14 reads, And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help O king, yasa na. Second King 6, then as the king of Israel was passing by the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help my lord, O king, yasa na. Psalm 118, which is what we hear in the Gospels quoted. Save us now, we pray, O lord. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have been blessed from you, or you, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Yasa na. Two Hebrew words. Yasa means to save, or be saved, to be delivered. And na means I pray, or we pray. So yasa na, hosanna, means save me. Save us now, we pray. Save me now, I pray. It's a little different than hail the king, yeah? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. Um, I'd like to pose this question uh, and have this question direct where we go. What do the people need to be saved from in this passage? You got all the people. They're waving their palm branches there. Jesus rides in on an unridden donkey, which is interesting because, like, we find from Jewish literature that, you know, uh, a king rides on a horse that no one else has ridden, but he rides in on an ass, not a horse. So it's as if, and Zechariah 9.9 tells us something about that, that the Messiah would, would come as a king. So Jesus does ride in on a, a, a four-legged animal that has not been ridden, denoting himself as a king, but he rides in on an ass, on a donkey. Not a horse, not a, a champion, right? Um, what do they need to be saved from? If yasa na means save us, Lord, we pray. Save me now, I pray. What do they need to be saved from? And what do you need to be saved from? What do I need to be saved from? Uh, if you've been around Awaken long enough, you may think to yourself, well, this is, a, this is an interesting take, Mike. We, we don't often go there. Yeah, you're right. Well, what do you need to be saved from today? So let's explore this passage and let's see what it's, what, what's in there. Um, four things I want to draw our attention to, and then we'll spend some time reflecting on this question. Uh, what do the people need to be saved from? Let's start with, number one, the lie that God is on our side. The lie that God is on their side. I want to start with nationalism. Because um, this is a really important idea. This is a controversial topic, but it is absolutely at the heart and soul of this passage. The myth, the lie, the misunderstanding that God, the divine, is on our side. And this is not a new idea, friends. Um, this is neither uh, an idea that's, that's like new to human history, nor is it an idea which we are exempt from or do not fall prey to as American Christians. Um, prior to Jesus walking around in Palestine 2,000 years ago, this idea was alive and well. It's alive and well in the Bible. Just read the book of Joshua, right, which is, is a historical account, but it's not really history like we report history, like CNN or NBC or ABC Nightly News. It's a, it's a, it is an influenced, one could say a tainted, or a, uh, it is an agenda being offered. And the way the story is told is that God was on our side, Israel, and we conquered all the people. And all the people were removed from the land. And the, the people of Israel, through Joshua's leadership, entered the land, and all is well, and we win all the battles, and all kinds of people died because why? God was on our side. The Psalms do the same thing, that God would, would sort of... Um, return to Zion, Jerusalem, would defeat evil and uh, exalt Israel, 
Like, take those three themes, the return of God to to Jerusalem, to Zion, the defeat of evil, and the exaltation of Israel, and just read through the Psalms. You'll see it everywhere. The people in Jesus' time, we see it in this triumphal entry. They hoped and longed for God to do what was promised by the prophets, that God was on the side of Israel and would vindicate them and reestablish the throne of David. What's so crazy about this moment and the moments that follow is that Jesus sort of flips the whole thing on its head. These people really did believe that God would exalt Israel. I mean, if, the, if, 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 if that's not true, then why are the disciples arguing about who will sit at the right and the left of Jesus when he's what? The king, exalted. That's what they were arguing about. That's what they wanted. This idea that God is on our side is all over the Bible. It's all over all the time. And it's really dangerous. Like, really dangerous. Because when we believe that God, the divine, is on our side, and there's an us and there's a them, it is really, really easy to fuse and confuse the tactics and strategies of the state or the nation and say that they are the, na- the ways of God. Right? I'm going to say that again. When we believe God is on our side as a nation state or as a people group, it's really easy to, to confuse or to fuse together the tactics or strategies of the nation state and call that the way of God. And we only need to look back three to four hundred years in our own history, to see that at play, yeah? Where there's this belief that we are somehow set apart. We're a city on a hill, right? Where you, you go back to like early American history, and you hear it. They're saying these exact words, that we're, this new Jerusalem, new Israel, we're a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, and we are the chosen people of God. And so the nation, the the tactics, the strategies of the nation state, what serves the nation state, what serves the people group, become confused with and fused together with the ways of God. And then people get wiped out and we think, well, that's just the way God intended it to be. And actually, sometimes even use Joshua as the proof for it. Friends, I just want to pause for a moment and say, that's antichrist. And we denounce it in the name of Jesus, the suffering servant who died on a cross, sacrificing his life for his enemies. Amen? That's good news. That's love. That's life. That's liberation. That's hope. We're going to talk about it next week. But friends, there is a really sneaky, like, uh, lie, myth, that is so dangerous when we believe that God is on our side. And if Palm Sunday says anything, it screams from the mountaintops. Jesus is not interested in that game, and God is not on the side of any nation. Not on the side of any people group at the exclusion of another people group. And the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Why? Because all are invited. All are chosen. Do you see what God is doing in Jesus? He's saying, humanity, I choose you. All of you. So, at Palm Sunday, man, this, like, like strike a match. This sucker's about to blow, right? So I want to start there because I think it's actually quite important that we wrestle with that. What does it mean to be a part of a people, a part of a nation that has certain values, 
Um, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite professors uh, at Bethel, his name's Joel Lawrence, and he's been doing a lot of reading and writing and thinking about this idea of the church and the state and like what's its relationship and role. And you can just look back at history at, at how this like plays out uh, poorly most of the time. <laughs> um, but I want to read a quote because I think he's just dead on. He says this, he says, when the church believes her mission is to moralize the state via methods of the state, the church is inevitably instrumentalized by the state. I.e., for example, the church is made the tool of the state power and used for state purposes. Once the church has been instrumentalized, then the church is divided. Having been made a tool of the state, the church splits along ideological lines that divide the state. The state's purposes and goals become the the church's purposes and goals, even as the church thinks it's accomplishing its own mission. Theologies then are constructed to justify the division, theologies of the left and theologies of the right, that parrot the political ideologies of the left and right. And the church's scattering into political factions is complete. We will not, listen, we will not truly take up the mission of the church and will have no hope of unity until we put down the mission of the state. Friends, followers of Jesus Christ, you are not united along political ideologies. You are not united because of your agreement on doctrine or dogma. You are not united on any of the things that we often think we're united by. You are only and solely united by the person of Jesus Christ. That is it. That's why people from all walks of life, left and right, you name the divisions, can come to the table on Good Friday, praise Jesus, can come to the table and receive Eucharist, good gift. People of all different faiths or or, or ideologies and beliefs and and convictions can come to that one table. What does Sufyan say? That the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Why? Because our unity is in Christ and nothing else. Nothing, nothing, nothing. That could be, if we lived into it, really good news to a world watching. Do you agree? That people who disagree about all kinds of things, somehow find unity together in this common bond of Christ, who was the manifestation of divine love. I'm up for that project, yeah? So Hosanna, save us, Lord, from our belief that God is on anybody's side at the exclusion of anybody else. I could stop there, but I won't. Number two, Hosanna, save us from our fickle faith. (laughs) This faith which we only apply or call on when it serves us. (laughs) Or which we so easily forget when things don't go our way or we don't get what we want or like a small wind blows and we're like, oh, When reaction and reactivity is so close to the surface of our lives that any number of, dis, like, uh, uh, of, of distractions or struggles can blow us over. 
I've been, I told you guys, I've been meditating lately. This is equanimity, right? We're, spiritually, you could say, all is well with my soul. All, in all manner of things, all will be well, Julian and Norwich. That's equanimity. It's where, like, something comes and I say welcome. Whether it's, whether it's for me or against me, I'm actually okay. It's, it's really, it's a fascinating snapshot to think about this moment in the passage, right? On Friday, or on Sunday, excuse me, you have the people waving the palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hail the king. Come on. Come on in. We're glad you're here. And then on Friday, you have a, a, a mob of people yelling, crucify him. And I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination that there are people who were there on Sunday waving the palm branches who end up in the crowd on Friday saying, saying crucify him, crucify him. We don't get any of that detail in the Gospels, but I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination because we do it all the time. I mean, just look at Minnesota sports. <laughs> the Wild, the Timberwolves, the Vikings, the Twins. People are like, yeah, it's opening day, all right. And come like all-star break, we're like, these people suck. And they get paid way too much money to play this stupid game. The, the only team we don't have anything to complain about is the women's basketball team. Holla! The Lynx, they're just a dominant force continuously. But you know what I'm saying? Like the Fairweather fan, where, you know, early on it's like, yeah, yeah, wear the, wear the colors purple and gold all the way. And then you're like, who is Kirk Cousins anyway? Like, who hired that guy? <laughs> oh, gosh. This is just such common human behavior. We're, we're fickle. And the crowd, you know, the energy of the crowd, the mob. The question is, can we walk into Jerusalem with Jesus on Palm Sunday and then not fall asleep in Gethsemane on Friday? Can we walk into the, into the city in Jer Jerusalem on Sunday and get to Gethsemane on Friday? Are we even there for it? I love Taylor Swift. I will not apologize for that. <laughs> Take the words for what they are, a dwindling mercurial high. I mean, if you can get that in a song, like, you are really actually quite good. <laughs> Writes all her own songs, by the way. No ghostwriters there, friends. <laughs> and then just, like, sticks it to the man. It's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-record all my songs, which some Yahoo in New York owns and won't like sell back, so we're just going to do it all over again. <laughs> it's like the ultimate boss move. That's so great. But mercurial, that's why I brought it up. Uh, <laughs> subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind. Yeah? Anybody's faith ever been like that? What does it mean to develop a faith and a trust in the person of Jesus that goes the distance? That's not mercurial. That's not fickle. That doesn't like wilt the moment it gets hot or get blown over the moment the winds start to blow. What does it mean to be an oak rooted? Jesus, save us from our fickle faith and replace it with fidelity and covenant and commitment. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. 
we see on display on Palm Sunday. Three, save us from our misunderstanding and lust for power. And this gets back to point one in some ways. This is one of the things that's always on display with Jesus in the Gospels, is what does power, what does divine power look like? If Jesus is the manifestation, the icon, the exact representation, the writer of Hebrews says, of, divine, of the divine in human form, then we have to take seriously that the divine power looks like Jesus, which means it looks like sacrifice for your enemy. It means that the divine power, when it's on display, looks like forgiveness, even for those who have wronged you. That's what power looks like. Divine power looks like advocating for the poor and the oppressed, for those who have no voice and are, are on the margins. That's what God's power looks like. God's power looks like, like strength under control, not flying off the handle. This is, this is my cross to bear. <laughs> Contain it. Rein it in a little sometimes. It's never brute bodily strength that overpowers or dominates another human. That's not God's power. That's not what divine power looks like. It's not violent. It never is. It does not use weapons or might. On Palm Sunday, Jesus enters the city, and there was present a deep hope that the power of God would be on display. Blessed is he who comes and kicks out the Romans. Blessed is he who exalts Israel. Blessed is he who vindicates us from our enemies. Where our king rules and our standing in the world is restored. You see that, it's present. Question for us. Does our modern Western American understanding of power differ? I mean, if that's true in Israel and Palestine, you know, 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday... Vindicate us from our oppressive, our, our enemies. Exalt us, make us great. Does our understanding, how has our understanding of power evolved? <laughs> it kind of hasn't. We're still playing this game. I don't think it's unfair to say that, and, and we're, not only that we're still playing it, I don't think it's unfair to say that we lust after it, we long for it, we want it. I want it. On my worst days, in my worst moments, that's what I look for. That's what I'm reaching for. And, the, and the, the gospel of Jesus, the story of Palm Sunday, for sure the cross and the resurrection, say that Jesus is not interested in that game. Period. End. No questions asked. Like, I will win that case in court, and I'm not even a lawyer. Jesus, save us from our misunderstandings of power and our lust for it, our longing for it. Save us from our fickle faith. Save us from the belief that God is on our side. And last, save us from our temptation to take the shortcuts. I talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about Jesus in the desert, tempted by the tempter for 40 days. When the tempter says, you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow a knee. All the power, all the authority, it can be yours if you'll just submit to this one request. And in Mark's gospel, it's fascinating because what's happening in Mark's telling of the story is congruent with this truth that we are tempted to and often try to take the shortcuts, and there aren't any. 
more than any other gospel, Mark is concealing Jesus. It's like every chapter, it seems. Mark is saying that Jesus says, don't tell anybody. He heals somebody, don't tell anyone until it's time. He does some amazing miracle, and Jesus says, like, it's not the time yet. Keep your mouth shut. Go back to the temple, cleanse yourself, and don't tell anybody. Again and again and again and again, over and over, all through Mark's gospel, it's like Jesus is trying to suppress popularity. He's, like, not, not taken by the, 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 the rise, the sort of exaltation that the people want to place on him. He's like, no, 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 no. Why? Why is that happening? And even Mark's telling of this story, the triumphal entry of Jesus, how does it end? Jesus is by himself in the temple at the end of the day with no one around. It's like the way, in the way that Mark is telling the story, he's reminding us that the spiritual life, the walk of faith, the life of faith, most of it happens like this. Right? Like underneath the surface, behind the curtains, in the quiet, secret places. It's like, do you believe that the mustard seed will become the tree that it will be? Will you trust that that's true? Or will you just pine for and long for and want to skip from zero to 100 and go from seed to, seed to stand? You know? It doesn't work that way. It never does. But we... we it's like, you watch the commercial on, a t on the TV these days, and they're like, take this pill, and you can go from like this to that with no work at all. And we buy it! Invest in this scheme, and you can get a hundredfold return and not have to do anything. You can watch Netflix the whole time. And we buy it! Friends, let's, we'll end with Jesus is consistently modeling a life of faith that is quiet, that is humble, that is below the radar, and he's actually pushing against the temptation to take power and, as we understand it, and bring it upon himself. Like, yeah, let's, let's take out that ad on that bus bench. Let's put that on the billboards, baby. No, Jesus is like, completely opposing that all the time. But Palm Sunday, man, it just revs up the crowd, doesn't it? Like, we want it. We're, we need a hero. We want somebody to be in that space. And Jesus is consistently over and over and over again. And Mark tells the story in this way. All the other gospels, Jesus, this moment, it's like, it's like the wind-up. And then things go bonkers. He's in the temple. He's throwing over tables. He's calling out the authorities. He's doing everything. But Mark's like, Jesus ends the day by himself on the temple mount with no one watching. Do we believe that character and integrity has to be earned? Or do we think that that just happens overnight? You just get a lucky bounce. You wake up one day and then you're respected and you're full of character and integrity. Man, spiritual leaders have no shortage of work for since humans have been here and it's still true now and I'm guessing it will be true in a hundred years. 
to put this truth in front of the people, that the spiritual life is mostly done under the surface, behind the curtains, in the quietness of your own prayer room or bedroom or car or whatever, when nobody is watching. And the question is, do you believe that the mustard seed will become the tree? Because if you do, you know that it will take nurture, that it will take time, that it will take darkness, where you think it's dead, but it's not. It will take a life, a life lived. Palm Sunday, what a great moment in Scripture. So many things at play. Save us, Hosanna. Save us, God. Save me, God, from our mythical notion that you are on our side and not their side. Save me, save us from our fickle faith. Save us from our misunderstandings of power and our temptations to take the shortcuts. There are no microwaves in the wilderness, friends. There's no electricity out there. (laughs) Solar panels are not going to cut it. So, as we close this morning, on this Palm Sunday, imagine, like close your eyes for a moment, imagine that you are there. You are in the crowd. You are waving your palm branch. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And if we pulled back the curtains of your heart and saw what was really, really, really actually true, what do you need to be saved from? A habit you can't break? Alcohol? Sexual expression or gratification that is not generative and life-giving? Drugs? Gossip? Food eaten out of comfort to not think about something else? Anger? Addiction? Your lust for power or money or significance? Your lack of confidence? Your consistent self-sabotage? Images of God that are not consistent with Jesus? What do you need to be saved from? We think that we're so independent and like we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can do it. And meritocracy is the, the universal law. You can't. I can't. I desperately need the divine saving power. I need resurrection. I I have a sneaky suspicion I've been doing this long enough to think that you might need it too. So what do you need to be saved from today? I'm going to invite us to a moment of prayer. Mike and the band are going to close with one song, a reminder of who this Jesus actually is. And in that time, an invitation to you,
to like wrestle with, what do you need to be saved from? My friend Kate Scipioni is going to be in the prayer space. Um, she would be happy, be honored to pray with you. Uh, or the prayer space is just available, that little corner over there <laughs> that nobody really knows is there. What do you need to be saved from? Pray with me. God, today, <clears throat> as we take just a few moments of quiet and stillness to listen to be courageous enough to let our souls come out of hiding and to speak. May we have the ears to hear, the, the, the still, the small, maybe the quiet voice of our own soul pleading with us to listen. Holy Spirit, present, active, do your work now. In this room, I pray. Yeshua, salvation, is here. May we welcome him in. Friends, the, the way of Jesus, the story of the gospel, is just like, a consistent invitation and ask. Do you want to keep doing this alone? Do you want to, like, you got it? You want to keep, you're good? And to lift Jesus high is just to say, like, help. It's to say, I, I, I can't. It's to surrender. And if that's you, then just say, I surrender. Even if you've already done it once at camp when you were 10 years old, maybe today there's a new surrender. Maybe there's a new way of saying, God, I need you desperately. And I just implore you, invite you to lean into that, to say yes to that for the first time, for the hundredth time, for the thousandth time. Get saved, friends. I, I need it. I need it every day. I needed it last night. <laughs> I'll need it again today. Um, and if, well, I'm not going to give away what happens next Sunday. <laughs> so would you, uh, before I invite you to stand uh, and offer you a benediction, um, again, if you'd like prayer for anything, um, Skip would be glad to pray with you. If you want to just use that space, you can write on the walls in there. Um, that's okay too. <clears throat> so if you would, please stand for a benediction. I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. talk to friends all the time who just have such deep struggle with these communities that they're a part of and that they, they pastor and, and uh, I've said this before most of the time you guys are just such a joy I'm so grateful for you 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that you can't explain, that you can only testify to. Because you know it. Down to the tips of your toes. That kind of peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, Amen. Grace, peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.